What do Amanda Keller, Chanel Coleman, and Rachel Rouse have in common? Amanda Keller and Chanel Coleman and Rachel Rouse. And you may say, uh, we're supposed to know these people, right? And um, well, if, as long as I'm saying their names right, uh, I, they, they, they have something in common. They probably wouldn't even know. Those three ladies wouldn't know what they have in common, but I do. I've got all three of their autographs in a file in my drawer, my desk drawer. Why? Because I'm creepy? No. No, I was going through that file this week, and I was going through the section of the file about 10 years ago from the fall of 2012 and the spring of 2013, and I found evidence that Amanda Keller's name matters to Alyssa Conaby, who is here today, and Chanel Coleman's name matters to Melissa Johnson, who's here today, and Rachel Rouse, her name matters to Melissa Spires, who is here, but I think she's working in the children's church or nursery or whatever, because Alyssa and Melissa and Melissa are the three brides that asked Amanda and Chanel and Rachel to be the legal witnesses for their wedding. And I got their autographs. I, I'm keeping them. They're going to be worth something someday, right? I, 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 I have them in a file, right, as evidence, right? To witness, by definition, means attest to a fact or event. One asked to be present at a transaction so as to be able to testify to its having taken place. Now, the odds are that over the last 10 years, neither Amanda or Chanel or Rachel have had anybody knock on their door or confront them on the street corner and say, are you willing to witness to the experience of Alyssa's wedding or Melissa's wedding or Melissa's wedding, right? They signed that as a witness. It got tucked away in my drawer and in the state Department of Health, I think, right? And, 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 and not, nothing's, nobody, it's, it's not a problem, right? Because none of those brides are expecting those ladies to still be out there telling people that they witnessed such a wedding. But Jesus does expect that of us. He does expect as his witnesses that we would still be ready to be telling people, hey, I gotta tell you what happened to me. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, two days ago, whatever it may be. There's a verse in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, that Jesus speaks these words just before he's ascended into heaven. He's already been crucified and risen. He's going to ascend into heaven, and he says this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. I believe that what Jesus was saying to them, that what Scripture unfolds, that the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost and began a new age of the church, right? And today when we respond in faith to the gospel, we put our faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ lives in us. And clearly the Holy Spirit baptizes us and lives in us in that moment because uh, the Spirit tells us that, right? That, that, that witness of his presence in us 
but we are called to witness. Last week, if you were with us, you, we began a new look into the life of Saul, New Testament Saul, who also is known as Paul. It's interesting, so you know, it, it isn't that Saul becomes Paul, right? He, he literally throughout his whole life could still use both names, Saul and Paul, you know, being used in, in, in but that one isn't like his Christian name. We use Paul because that's what he is referred to most after his conversion and as God begins to use him. But last week we saw that he hated the Christians. And yet, Jesus does what? Jesus changes him. And today we're going to see three aspects surrounding his witness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us to remember. Sometimes there is a, almost a, 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 a legendary or casual approach we could have to Scripture and, and remind us this is, this is our, our oxygen. This is our, our bread and water. These words we're going to read are more important than what we read on our bank statement. They're more important than the doctor's results. They're more important than our review from our boss or our grades at school or... These words are eternal. So help us right now to sit before you humbly and hear you talk to us through your Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to see Saul today affirmed and a fire and a flight. We begin with Saul affirmed. Last week we saw him on that road to Damascus. I mean, he hated Christians more than anybody you've met. I think I could say that safely. You may have met people who come close, but he put it into action. He was arresting them. He was punishing them. He was trying to crush them, to silence them, to shut them up, to shut them down. And he experienced an extraordinary jolting life moment. Blinded by the light, knocked to the ground, he hears the, the voice of Jesus. Everything he believed before that was a lie about Jesus, he knows in this moment it's all true. Jesus is the Savior. And of course, immediately God then takes him and brings him up to the third heaven and shows him a vision of heaven, right? No, that doesn't happen yet. <laughs> In case you were like, oh, oh I read about that. Is, oh, that's when that, no, that's not when it happens. You know what happens at this moment? Acts 9.9. 9. And in Acts chapter 9, 9, I better get back to that chapter, right? Or I'm going to read the wrong things. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 9, we read what happens. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. In other words, this incredible life moment leaves him blind. And for the next three days, he's not sitting there going, oh, three days, just like Jesus was risen. He has no idea how long he's going to be blind. He just, for the next three days, he sits there, right? What? so aware of what he knows happened, and yet so, what's going on? It's, it's a sense of left there to ponder and consider. For many of us, it would be a recipe, what, for doubt, for questions, right? Was that real? I said to you before, years ago, and some of you can witness that we're, we're, we're this, we, when we were in youth group, we'd take 70 kids on a retreat, and, you know, the speaker would be, I mean, he'd be, you know, just bring, just bring it to a fever pitch emotionally. And, and, and I remember people standing up, I just gave my life to Christ. I remember girls coming out, Mary's in the bathroom and 
she just got saved in the bathroom. You know what? It's just all this, you know. And, and a couple weeks later, we, you know, they answer you that. We'd be back to you. Where's Mary? I don't know. We, 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 we haven't seen her since, right? You know, she, and I'm not saying that it wasn't real, but we, we know that there are, that sometimes people are caught in emotion and, and sometimes for ourselves, we can be, wow, I, Lord, Lord, I was, I, I just felt your presence so much. Was, you know, I, I, is it real? Was it, and, and there's a, there's a beautiful opportunity God has given us in the body of Christ. And it's the opportunity to come along other lives and affirm them in those moments. To be able to say to someone, hey, listen, what, you're, what you just are telling me about you experience with the Lord, it's real. I promise you that. I had to, you know, you, you're going to have highs and lows, don't you? I just know that. If you're on a high right now, know that there's going to come some times of struggles and, and disappointment, but, but it's all real. And that sense of affirmation, years later, Paul's going to write about it. When he writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 15 and verse 7, he says, Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Your translation may say, receive one another, welcome one another. It's, it's a word of like DNA evidence, if I could say it that way spiritually. In other words, it's not just a, hey, I, got, I don't want to touch you. I'm going to keep my rubber gloves on. Good to have you. Keep it up. It's, it's a word that has to do with, you're one of us now. I'm bringing you in. You're one of us. And I imagine when Paul wrote that, that his mind goes back to the very first person that ever did that for him. And it's right there in the book of Acts. It's right there in the book of Acts. It follows those days of blindness. In verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, behold, here I am, Lord. Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. I picture Ananias going, here I am, Lord, what do you want? What's that? That Ananias, what was his last name? Was it, right? Because you, you, you can't be talking about me, right? He has seen someone, and Ananias answered verse 13, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon thy name. Right? And, and what, 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 just imagine for Ananias what's going through his mind at this moment, right? That he is well aware that Saul is coming. He knows Saul is coming to get him, to throw him into prison, to, to, to torture him, to get him to deny his faith. And he's sitting here listening, and, and, and that sense of, wait a minute, Saul's coming after me. You want me to go after him? I got into a lot of fights when I was in grade school across the street, but they were fights that mostly I couldn't get out of. You're right there in the moment, and then, yeah, and the right temper kicks in, and you know, Dave Schultz taught me how to fight. Reach under their arm and just hit from inside, you know, and uh, he, was, he was a Philadelphia flyer right back then. But I'll tell you what, I was the shortest guy in the class. I weighed, weighed half these guys. When, when one of the big guys would say to me, McDonald, I'll see you after school at 3 o'clock. 
I wasn't there at 3 o'clock. I don't know if he showed up, but I wasn't going to be there. Why would I come for that, right? You make fun of me in the morning. I don't care. My dad said I had to be home or whatever. You know, I, I'm not going to show up. And Ananias is saying, what, what? You want me to get in front of him? Why would I do that? And God answers in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Why should you go? Because guess what, Ananias? Saul's one of mine now. What? He's one of mine. You just imagine this moment for Ananias. And believe me, Ananias, Saul is going to suffer a lot for the gospel. That lands on Ananias' ears. And and wow, can you imagine the affirmation of his own faith in verse 17 when we read, and Ananias departed and entered the house and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And boy, I mean, just... the excitement of what's unfolding in this moment. And immediately, verse 18, there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and he arose and was baptized. Can you you imagine this incredible moment? What it it means, right? To be there at that moment. You know, I had an experience yesterday that I've never had in all my years of pastoring. I don't know if Raj and Jerusha are here, but, but yesterday they called me and asked me to come over to their house with their four-month-old baby David, right? And uh, David was going to be having his first oatmeal. You know, sometimes it's not till six months or whatever, but the doctor had told her, I, we think you need to m- make the shift to, you know, you're getting up two hours, two hours all night long, you know, start to give them a little bit of solid food. And, and they invited me over and they're saying, Pastor, we, and I'm, what, we want you to feed them. Well, what? And I realized that in India, they have a ceremony called first food. When the pastor comes and feeds the child the first solid food. It was such a fascinating moment because for me, I prayed over David and then I'm the one going, here we go, little fella, you know. (laughs) He's looking at me, you know, and I'm putting this stuff in his mouth, right? But I'm thinking, what a... What a, what, a, what a beautiful moment for, for them to allow me to be sharing first food, right, with, with, their, with their son and with them as a family. Think about this moment. I did get a lot on his nose, by the way, but that, that, you'll see the pictures if you want. But in this moment, what it was like for Ananias, I watched the scales fall from Saul's eyes. I was there. He is one of us. There is such affirmation for us when we affirm a new believer. You know that. You meet somebody who's a new believer, and you, there's just something so excited about. You know, I, I, Dave Betts was in the, the 9 a.m. service, and I remember that Sunday. I was, I was one of my last Sundays at Faith Baptist Church, and this college-age guy comes walking in, and he, a new graduate, and, and I meet him after the service. He goes, hey, dude. 
You know, Dave, that's, that's uh, those that has stayed here. Hey, dude, I just got saved like a couple weeks ago. And he was on fire. Him and I, we would meet every few weeks for lunch. And he would just be like, oh, I got a question for you. Harold Camping says this. What does the Bible say? You know, and I, well, you know, <laughs> you know, we would just go through issue after issue, right? As he was, uh, but it was so exciting to me to be the one that was affirming him. This is a powerful moment. And think about the courage that it takes for Ananias and, 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 and where it takes him as he affirms this believer, what it does in his own life. Many of you know the story of Corey Ten Boom and Corey Ten Boom, uh, her family was t- torn apart by the Nazis. Uh, they they uh, uh, cared for Jews and hid them in, in their home and were found and were placed into the concentration camps and her sister uh, died in the concentration camp and after they were set free, uh, the Lord had Corey survive. Corey went around Germany, broken, war-torn Germany, sharing the gospel. And she says this, it was in a church in Munich in 1947 that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just shared about Jesus. She says, that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next moment in my mind I saw a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. And it came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Oh, Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was standing in front of me with his hand thrust out. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips that I've been forgiven. She goes on to say, I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to their outside world. But those who nursed bitterness made them invalids. I stood there in the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is an act of the will. Jesus, help me, I prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do this much. With tears in my eyes, I lifted my hand. I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. I've never had to do that. I've never had to forgive somebody who inflicted that kind of pain on me. But imagine the impact on Corey Ten Boom, when she affirmed this man's faith in Christ. 
She was having an Ananias moment. I will affirm you. An Ananias moment. You think about the impact on her or an Ananias, but let's go back now and think about the impact on Saul himself. Three days he's been blind. Now the blindness is telling him that this is real. I really did see that light. I really did hear that voice. In Acts chapter 22, he tells us the rest of the people with him didn't understand what the voice said, but he knew what it said. And here comes a man now to touch him, a man that he was coming to capture. This man puts his hands on Saul. This man puts his hands on him and says, Brother Saul, verse 17, the Lord Jesus who did appear to you on the road, he sent me to you. Wow. Imagine this moment. I mean, the scales fall off. Saul opens his eyes, and for the first time in his life, he is affirmed in his faith by another believer. He looks into the eyes of Ananias who says to him, It's all real. You are one of us now as followers of the risen Jesus. I mean, imagine what is going on with him in this moment. Maybe in this moment now he says, incredible. On the third day, my eyes were opened. It was the disciples who said on the third day he rose, and I said they were all liars. And yet now here it is on the third day of blindness, he opens my eyes to know that on the third day, he truly rose from the dead. He's baptized immediately, right? We read there that he was baptized. The the several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, they're surrounding him. Donald Guthrie writes a a whole thing on the book of Acts, and he says this, little is known about the community of Christians at Damascus at that time, but the Damascus disciples are to be commended for the way in which they at once received the converted persecutor. Spend a lot of time on this point of affirmation. I want to get to the witness, but it's such a powerful part of our witness to have someone affirm it, right? Affirm our faith. What about us, right? Because what does Paul say to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29? He says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. In other words, don't say bad things. Ah, uh, yeah, they say they're saved. I don't, I don't believe them. Not only are you not supposed to say that, but what does he say? But only such a word as is good for edification, building them up according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. Is that you? Do you do that? Paul says to the Thessalonians, encourage one another. The writer to the Hebrews says, encourage one another so that we don't get discouraged and fall away. Maybe you feel like, well, God's given me the ministry of Uh, I'm on the lookout for for error. And listen, there's a place in the Christian life to be on the lookout for, hey, that doesn't fit with Scripture. Like, let me come alongside of you and let you know you're believing something that's not biblical, right? But if you're on the lookout for error, you sure had better be on the lookout to affirm. Because we are called over and over and over again to affirm one another's faith 
You know, it may be that somebody you know puts their faith in Christ, and, uh, uh, says they did, and, and very quickly where their life goes causes you to say, yeah, it's between them and God, but it sure seems like it, it wasn't genuine. They walked away. But may it never be that somebody genuinely puts their faith in Christ, but they slip away in discouragement because the Christians around them are going, well, let's just wait and see. Let's just wait and see. I'm still hearing some words that I don't know they fit with being a Christian. Listen, what words don't fit with being a Christian? What I mean is, I, I, you know what I'm saying, I, the Lord wants to remove profanity and, and, and unwholesome words from us and slander and gossip and all that, but that doesn't mean it disappears the moment that I put my faith in Christ. We need to be the ones that when someone says, I've, I've come to Jesus, surround them with affirmation. If, they're, if it isn't genuine and they slip away, don't let it be because you didn't affirm them that, hey, you're doing the right thing. It's the greatest decision I ever made to put my faith in Christ. I think that's what usually what comes out of my mouth. When I first meet a new believer, I say, I just want to tell you this. It's the greatest decision I ever made. There's ups, there's downs, you're going to have highs and lows, but Jesus has never failed me, never failed me. Affirm, right? Affirmation is a powerful human touch that God uses to strengthen faith. Your affirmation may cause someone to go out and witness, and someone gets saved because you affirmed someone who then was what? Set a fire. We saw Saul, and the, I got to move quicker, but Saul affirmed, but Saul set a fire, in verse 20, now for several days, he was with the disciples, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ, that he is. Saul, hateful of Christians, ferocious desire to crush them, to silence them. The evidence of, his, of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus is overwhelming. Saul, as I said last week, knew the entire gospel. He could tell you everything the Christians were saying. He didn't believe any of it. Jesus was dead and buried. But now he has met the risen Jesus. In verse 5, when Jesus said, it's me, Jesus, he has what Scripture calls a repentance. The Greek word metanoia, a change of one's mind, not just mentally, heart, soul. He says, I thought all this was untrue about Jesus. Now I know it's all true. And what a turn in his life. Ananias baptizes him. They, the believers affirm him. And now he's lit up with the message that he came to stop. I got to tell people about Jesus, my Savior. Verse 20 there says, immediately he began, right? He doesn't have to, you know, now Saul granted knew a lot more than a lot of new believers. He knew the Old Testament and he knew the gospel, he just didn't believe it. But he knows, I don't, you don't have to wait a year. You know, we, uh, uh, these couple, this, this stretch where we haven't had a storybook hour that starts again this week. Um, 
Grayson, my grandson, and Molly, my granddaughter, they, they, are, they still, like on Tuesdays, we, I, we, we, we get together, and that's when storybook hour is, and, and story hour, story hour. I keep saying storybook, story hour. And, uh, and they'll say, Papa, let's go to the church and play story hour. So we come in here and we play in the room over there and I try and clean it up, Robin. I hope I get it clean. Sometimes I, I, I may forget something, but, but you know, but we, we, we'll, and they like to come in here. Let's, let's go in and have church. And I got to tell you, it's heartwarming to me. It's not a game. I can tell they're like, they're like you know, they'll be like, here, look, look, here look, maybe I'll pop up. You get at the piano and play and, and, they'll, and they'll stand up here. And they'll say, welcome everybody to church. There's nobody out there, but they'll, they'll be going. And, and to see them start, you know, singing, you know, uh, different songs that we sing. This past week, Grayson says to me, hey, Pop-Up, why don't you play the guitar? And I said, I'm not allowed to touch those guitars. I am not allowed to touch them. And he goes, okay, well, Pop-Up, maybe someday you'll be big enough where you'll be allowed to touch the guitars. <laughs> I said, maybe someday, you know, us kids, you know, but, but, but that, that, you know, that, that, that sense of what, you know, you got to wait. Saul knew what? Listen, you may have just gotten saved. If that's all you know is that Jesus died for your sins and rose again and, he, and he's willing to forgive you for everything and make you his child, go tell somebody, hey, I got to tell you what just happened in my life. I just was forgiven of all my sin. I've been set free. I've got eternal life. And he goes forward. And, he's, and he writes to the Romans years later, what is his life theme, right? In Romans 1 and verse 15, thus for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. I'm not ashamed. I want to step, I want to step in that place. I want to be the one that's sharing the good news, right? I want to be the one that's 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 letting people know of, of who Jesus is and, and what he's done. I, I, I think of a song that I've loved for years that Wayne Watson wrote called New Lives for Old. And this guy used to run a carnival, but he gets saved. And now he stands on the corner saying, new lives for old, warm hearts for cold. Step right this way. New lives for old. And, and, and the person who hears all about it says, you know, I, I wanted to go find him one day, but he wasn't there anymore. I said, where's the old guy that used to stand on the corner and do this? And somebody says, oh, that old fool is, is gone. But the singer says what? Well, I'll take up where he left off then because I'm pushing the same thing. New lives for old. Listen, I don't know what opportunities God's going to give you, but I know where your heart should be. It should be on fire. Set a fire. Paul is set a fire. I got to share this. And, and that should be where our heart is. That sense of, oh God, I, I can't open a heart but you lead me to someone. Let me be ready. Lead me to somebody who's hurt. Let me share. Let me be a witness of what you have done. Let me invite somebody out to church to hear the gospel. Let me invite them to a special event. Let me somehow be a witness. And, and, and Saul's witness is stunning. I mean, it's nothing short of stunning. We read that there in verse 21. All those hearing him continued to be amazed. You know, the word amazed there, it literally it means astonished almost to the point of terror, right? 
when I re- was reading that in the commentary and with the language book, just a- an image came to my mind. On Christmas, uh, I had gotten us a iRobot Roomba. We, you know, as, as a, uh, and I think Greta knew, I have a feeling he's getting this to help me some, but he also is good. This is like a toy to him for play with the kids. You probably knew that ahead of time. And she, she, she's a little bit more mature than I am. And, uh, and you know, but, but, but good hearted and, and loves to have fun with our grandkids, obviously. But we, you know, so I was letting the kids uh, push the button and see the, the, the iRobot start to go around. And she was right in saying, pop up, I don't think this is a good idea. Uh, you know, this, you know, we got little, you, you have little, two little, twin grandchildren who are crawling on the floor. We got, we, and, uh, but so they had pushed the button and the thing was, ah, the robot's chasing us and they're having their fun. And I realized that it, it wasn't a good idea and it was getting in the way. And, and so uh, little Annie, one of uh, Nate and Deanna's twins, they were both on the floor, but she is not enjoying this robot, you know, and she's uh, crawling to get to mommy, right? And it's only a few feet away, but I hit the, it was new to me, so I'm learning it. I hit the dock button thinking it'll just go that way to the dock, and it started going that way. But for some reason, it turned around. And it was coming right back at Annie, and I could still see Annie's face just going, ah, like, like this, is trying to get to her mother, but the robot's coming in between, and I, I picked it up and, you know, threw it out in the backyard. No, not really. I just, you know, but, but we got it into place, right? But that, you know, I got to tell you, I'm being honest, that's the look I see. When I read verse 21, I see that look on their faces. He was going to kill the Christians. He turned around and he's coming back at us, you know, with the gospel. Ah, he pour, here comes Saul, who they thought was coming to get rid of the Christians. And here he's coming back at them. And they were amazed. He's on fire. What a turnaround in his life. And what a powerful moment. Because one writer states this, Damascus was the hub of a vast commercial network of far-flung lines of caravan trade reaching into North Syria, Mesopotamia, Persia, and Arabia. In other words, any message there could go anywhere. And that's why Saul went to shut it down. And now God has flipped Satan's plan upside down and Saul is in the hub of communication sending the message of Jesus. And that's why in closing, we see Saul affirmed and Saul afire, but briefly in closing, Saul aflight. Because we read in verse 23, and when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Tertullian is a name that if you've studied church history, you would know. If you haven't, you might not. Because he was a church leader in the year 200 AD. And Tertullian wrote a lot about the Christians facing persecution. And one of the statements that he made that you may have heard, because it's been used for 1,800 years since, is this, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And many times that's been true. Many times, those Christians that were being thrown to lions because of their faith, their testimony was so powerful that it caused unbelievers to say, if it's that real to them, what do I have that I'm holding on to about 
be after I die, right? If it's that real to them, I better look into this Jesus. You know, Stephen was stoned to death, and we know it impacted Saul. So God's will for Stephen was to be martyred. But it's not always God's will for us to just sit and remain. It is God's will for us to rejoice in persecution, right? Jesus said, blessed are you when you are persecuted. Not, ah, yeah, we're gonna get you back. You know, that, he said, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Rejoice when people are insulting you for my name's sake. Be glad they did that to the prophets. But that doesn't mean if we ever take a measure to protect our witness, that, that, that then we're not surrendered to God. Because God's will for Stephen was that Stephen would be martyred in Acts chapter 8. But God's will for Saul was that Saul would be a flight to live another day to continue to share the message, right? I thank God for Brad Roosh, our security leader in the back, and, and for those who work with him, that there are... People out there watching cameras to know, is there someone coming up the back steps behind Pastor You know, I think, I thank God for practical measures that do what? That protect our witness. Can anybody guarantee our safety? No, no. But I thank God for that, those assets. I thank God for missionary organizations that have tough decisions to make sometimes. This person's making a witness there, but we believe we need to remove them. There's such hostility there. We need to extend their witness and remove them. Sometimes God's will is for the person's life to end in persecution. Sometimes it's to go a flight and to be protected to speak another day. My point is, Paul's was to go a flight. And Paul would eventually give his life for Christ. We'll see that in the future. But he was able to continue to witness. And 2,000 years later, the witness goes on. Through these 2,000 years, the church sometimes has polluted the gospel with greed, with immorality, with false teaching. The world around us has sometimes been resistant, sometimes been vicious toward the gospel. Satan's plans have always been to shut down the gospel. And yet 2,000 years later, it's still being proclaimed. The good news, and it comes to you with the opportunity to be a witness, to be able to say, Lord, take my life. Let me be someone who is ready to affirm other new believers, ready to, listen, I'm affirmed just by you being here. I want you to know that. To, I look at you, I know your faith. God has changed your lives. That, that, that's affirming to me. Affirm. But be a fire. Lord, who is it you want me to share the good news with? Give me the courage. Give me the moment. Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer today. Let us be a fire. Let us be your witnesses. Even if we failed and missed opportunities and stumbled, whatever the next one is, let us be ready. Let us be people who look to affirm faith in others. Let us be those that are ready to suffer, if that's your will, but continuing to find ways to effectively spread the gospel. We pray it all for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.